Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and all our listeners, regular or otherwise, to the DOGS program, um, the DOGS. We are the Defenders of Government Schools, DOGS. We're here every week, and we have been for decades, because we need to fight for the right of state education to take its place in this great Australian nation. Um, We have to fight for it, because it's being attacked week on week, month on month, year on year, government on government. Um, and we are one of the only voices out there in the world to support government schools because while various lobby groups are paid for to advocate for private and religious school interests, we are paid nothing at all because we're on 3CR, we're a community radio station and we're here to defend government schools. We are the defenders of government schools. Every year on, on or every year, every week on the programme, Every year as well, but every week on the program we highlight issues that um, we have researched, discovered or think are worth talking about in the great debate of why government schools are in fact great. Um, Later in the program we'll be highlighting a great state school as we do most weeks here. Um, We've been a bit slack lately because I've been away, but we're back to highlight a great state school later in the program. But one of the enemies of public education, one of the great destructive ideas when it comes to educating all the children to the best of the ability that a country can is the idea of privatisation. That is that if you have a public good, you put it in the hand of businessmen, they'll do a better job than if you put it in the hands of the people because businessmen um, are are good and privatisation is good. This is an idea that's um, been prevailing in, in Western society now for about two or three decades. And um, this idea has consequences, and um, Jean will be telling us about the consequences in her press release, but also referring to various articles, um, because there's a whole idea of privatising education in particular, but not just education, um, public service, privatising whether your light turns on when you flick the switch, privatising whether water comes out of your tap when you turn it on. Privatising these ideas are coming under very significant question in Australia and around the world at the moment, and Jean's going to highlight some interesting research and some ideas around this. We'll also be talking about the great funding debate later in the program, and I will be travelling overseas to a very interesting school in Birmingham. It's a school that's been semi-privatised, as they do, but it's called an academy. And Jean, you might be surprised to learn, I'll be talking about an academy in Birmingham where talking, children talking to each other, is verboten. Children talking to each other is a a verboten is a verboten activity in corridors or around the school. Yeah, and they're a pri- well, they're an academy. They're a semi-privatized school in the UK, and they're allowed to do this. It's absolutely fascinating. They want to make the children into robots. Well, I don't know. For the robotic revolution, isn't this terrible? It's extraordinary business. Um, it's all about behaviour management, I think. But anyway, um, that's for later in the program. Let's get back to some ideas. Jean has press release. Press release number what, Jean? This is 768. 768. That's not a made-up number. That's the 768th press release available on our website at www.adogs.info. So if you want to check Jean's facts and figures, you can go to the website and feel free to do so. But for now, to save you all the checking and, 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 and the Googling and the, and the interneting, um, Jean's here on the old-fashioned radio, 3CR 855 on AM dial, um, to tell you all about it. No algorithms here. No algorithms to uh, see what your private preferences are. 
However, if you go to our website, they will find out that you're interested in state education, public education. Here's the press release. Privatisation and the failure of neoliberalism. In education, as well as electricity, communications, banks, ports, etc. There's growing opposition and concern to the prevailing neoliberal ideology which puts markets and companies before society and the public interest. The key feature of neoliberalism has been privatisation of what were once public facilities. Here in Australia we've had the uh, Commonwealth Government prepared to say they won't give money to the state governments unless they privatise public facilities. Now, although the economic narrative, as Mr Costello keeps telling us, of conservative neoliberals is, 20, in, is in fact 23 successive years of economic growth, they want to tell us how good they've been, there's a widespread realisation that the benefits haven't been widespread. They have been for a privileged few at the expense of the many. Now, John Manadou, in his recent article, Privatisation is a Clear Example of the Failure of Neoliberalism, and we've given you the um, website there. He has a blog, very interesting blog, lists an impressive number of privatisation failures and messes in the recent Australian experience. And we'll talk about his article in a moment. However, Menadieu notes the failure of the vocational education schemes but leaves out the privatisation by stealth of public education. So the dogs responded, they put up a comment to his article as follows. Thank you for this article. The privatisation not covered in your article, perhaps because it is more subtle, is the privatisation of primary and secondary education. This has been going on since the return of public subsidisation of the sector in the 1960s, after a break of almost a century. What is perhaps of most interest is the simple fact that the public system is still alive and well and fighting. Some leaders of the public system, spooked by the sectarian label, compromised and sold out as early as 1973. But many, like Ray Nielsen of the Dogs, did not. Privatisation was at its most obvious in Kennett's Victoria, where public schools were closed and sold to developers or private schools. The fight back at Richmond Secondary College was inspirational. Thanks to Kennett, a new generation of parents was politicised. And Mr Morrison is doing a good job of, of politicising the next generation. Ray Nielsen has gone to a better country, but Steve Jolly is still involved in politics. And we need to remember and recognise our heroes and heroines and keep up the fight for public education. It should also be noted that in recent years, seven hospitals in New South Wales and South Australia were privatised, but then they were reverted. They failed, failed terribly. They didn't make profit. They reverted to public ownership because of poor services and high costs. So the dogs believe that it's time that the unaccountable, inefficient private schools that duplicate public facilities were placed into public hands and public funding of the remainder should be withdrawn. Now, here is the John Menadieu list of abuse and failure of privatisation in Australia. And it's a very interesting list. It's not strictly about education, but I think that we can learn from the failures. For example, the network arm of Telstra should never have been sold by John Howard. If the network arm had been kept in public hands, we should be now well on the way or have completed a successful fibre rollout of NBN instead of the mess that Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull have bequeathed to us. If the network business of Telstra had been retained in public hands, it would have rolled out fibre broadband as part of its core business, as in New Zealand. 
Now, the Hawke and Keating government sold off the Commonwealth Bank, and we're not better off with a privatised CBA. <laughs> Instead of that, we've got a Royal Commission into it, haven't we? It's led the race to the bottom in record profits, greedy executive salaries and unethical behaviour. We actually need to consider a new people's bank like the CBA uh, before privatisation. Now let's have a look too at Medicare, which only we only got it uh, in the 1970s thanks to um, Lionel Murphy, the Attorney-General and uh, Whitlam. Medicare has operating costs one-third of those of the private health insurance. But the government is using $12 billion of taxpayers' money each year to prop up the inefficient and confusing mess called the PHI. Our health system is being privatised by stealth through an enormous corporate subsidy to PHI. And if you think, about, think of it, this is exactly what's happening with the primary and secondary sector of education. Medicare was established by the Whitlam government because of the shambles the private health insurance had become in 1974, and we're going right back to it. As well as that, Menadue points out that governments facilitated unscrupulous private providers to compete with TAFE, with disastrous results. Well, it's time that they were talking about the disastrous results to primary and secondary education of the unscrupulous providers in this area. Uh, at least the, um, the TAFE sector haven't had to deal with providers that sexually abuse children. Now, Menadue also warns us that privatising the NDIS services could be repeat of the VET we also sold off natural monopolies like our airports, which were bringing in money. And we shouldn't be surprised that these new private monopolies are exploiting consumers with excessive charges. Seven hospitals in New South Wales and South Australia were privatised, but they've been reverted back because they couldn't make profits. And the New South Wales government sold port Botany and Port Kembla to the same buyer, making competition between the two ports impossible and the result was increased rental charges of up to 400%. So you're actually dealing with monopolies here. The efficient Newcastle container point was privatised with a cap placed on its container business in order to protect the other two at Port Botany. And that is called crony capitalism. And to top it off, the New South Wales government sold the Land Titles Office, which underpins the whole property system in New South Wales. And they're talking about doing the same down here in Victoria. Think about it. Your whole property system, any of you who actually happen to own property, uh, is being privatised. It's no surprise when we learned that the new owner attempted to increase some land title fees by 1,900%. That means that when you want to get a copy of your title, you have to pay really through the neck before you can even sell your property or buy a property. And that will send up your conveyancing fees. Other privatisations are attempted through the back door. The federal government is saying it's not going to privatise the ABC, despite the federal council proposing just that. Instead, the government's cutting funds, so they're doing it by stealth, which is what they've been doing to the public education systems for the last 40 or 50 years. And why are they doing that? It's because of Rupert Murdoch and the Institute of Public Affairs that he and Gina Reinhardt fund. And we have actual members of this Institute of Public Affairs, of course, in our Parliament. There are at least two or three, and we quite often see them on the ABC, don't we? Uh, and they are very good at producing arguments for their ideological wares. Now, the ABC is subject to continual harassment and intimidation by ministers, not to mention lots and lots and lots of advertising. 
A major privatisation mess has also been, as we're very much aware, in the electricity generation and distribution. As Tim Colbatch has reported in Inside Story, which is another very good website, electricity prices have soared 187% since 2000. And don't the ordinary people who are not yet on solar know it. Uh, Tim Colbatch has commented that the privatisation and deregulation of gas and electricity has failed consumers and the dogs would add, dismally. Now, the Conservatives keep telling us that this selling off of public assets, and Kennett tried to do it with our public schools in the 1990s, and we stopped him, and there are now people demanding that the schools reopen. They argued that this enables government to build new infrastructure. What new infrastructure? It's been left behind, and we're now in trouble. The fact is that, as any economist will tell you, the sale of income-producing assets like the Land and Titles Office in New South Wales does not introduce any additional capacity for public investment in non-commercial capital projects. And, of course, we have the toll roads, the private-public partnerships here in Victoria, and we have versions of those also with the capital expenditure on our schools, our public schools. So while the Conservative and the neoliberal ideologues refuse to face the facts, the public is clearly understanding it and they are walking away. And Scott Morrison and others, while they're getting into their bunker and trying to work out what on earth happened to them in Wentworth, should be aware that you can fool some of the people some of the time. But actually when it comes to hard figures and hard cash and uh, getting bills in the mail and looking at what is best for our children, you can't fool all of the people all of the time. Uh, there's a lot of very interesting statistics that Menadieu has got um, and there's some even better uh, responses to his article in Pearls and Irritations and after a little bit of music we'll go over to Dale and she will read you some of the responses. Jesus died for somebody's sins but not mine Milton had thieves Wild cord on my sleeve Thick heart stone My sins my own They belong to me Me People say beware Peace. 
Thank you very much, Gene. You listen to the Dogs Program on 855 on AM Dial and podcast on the WWWs. Yeah, that little track there is not our usual fare, but quite frankly, very important to play music like that because that's Gloria by Paddy Smith. Paddy Smith, yeah. That's actually for a very special... That's a, a track for a very special person. Um, look... This whole question of privatisation that Jean's highlighted in detail, um, there were several respondents to this article which um, uh, Jean was talking about. Because um, it's not just one person having ideas in the, in the wilderness anymore, because the dogs, we've been here on 3CR for some time now, saying what we say, never changing our minds, always supporting state schools, no matter what the world calls us. Um, and we're not alone. And when it comes to the ideas of privatisation, John Menergy is not alone. There's some other people that have some comments to make, and I think we're going to get Dale to fill us in on what other people have to say about this. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, there's many, many responses to the article uh, by John Menager. Uh So I'll just uh, read a couple of them. This one's from Rob. He says, uh, it's an excellent catalogue of massive taxpayer gifts to private corporations by politicians conned by a few economists, political donations and, of course, ideology. Public ownership and government control is an insurance policy for taxpayers and is why politicians are easily convinced to sell us out. They are scared and they are scared absolutely witless by being held to account. This was the weakness exploited by the economists who dreamed up neoliberal theory to make corporations all-powerful and disempower wage earners, clients, customers, consumers in the process, in particular those disadvantaged in the marketplace. Taxpayers have funded all the infrastructure we take for granted. Governments need to take responsibility for it on our behalf. Where is the guillotine? Uh, and Michael also responds, uh, he says, it's so self-evident that it makes one wonder why so much of the mess continues. The argument that the government gets funds to spend on infrastructure to benefit all is a furphy. Governments enter into private government contracts for which we then pay tolls as indirect further taxes but the cronies get the jobs and they continue to vote conservative still there are economies the poor cannot afford and the unfounded proposition that the private provider is cheaper than a government job prevails the situation is made worse as you imply by the stripping of organizations tasks tasked with regulating service delivery. Mm. Governments avoid responsibility by blaming the contractor and vice versa for contractors. And then Chris goes on to say, one mustn't forget the ideological extremism of neoliberalism that's driving privatisations and the concomitant behind-the-scenes corrupting influence of the corporate sector on our so-called elected representatives. Mm. There is also the implacable pressure from our main ally not to stray from the path of markets as defined by the Harvard Chicago Business Schools and the myriad think tanks funded by corporate interests. WikiLeaks publication of US Canberra Embassy cables from the time of Gillard taking over from Rubb clearly demonstrating who's calling the shots. That episode also explained the Australian government's otherwise inexplicable abandonment of a and then just one more uh, Colin says an excellent article setting out privatisation's failures as a start to reversing public acceptance maybe we should demolish the benign sounding competitive neutrality concept this concept is explained by the commission thus competitive neutrality policies aim to promote efficient competition between public and private businesses. Specifically, they seek to ensure that government businesses do not enjoy competitive advantages over their private sector competitors by simply virtue of their public sector ownership. It is a core value of the Productivity Commission to police this according to their website and is the basis for the Hanson-inspired inquiry into the ABC currently. Surely, in a market economy, if any institution or body has a competitive advantage, society should be organised to benefit from this. Thanks, Dale. It all makes sense. Now, why, some listeners may ask, are we sitting here talking about privatisation 
and these larger concepts, when this was the dogs program, we are the defenders of government schools. Um, well, for some of the, obviously the connection will be obvious, but I'm going to make it explicit. Um, in Australia, the private school system, the privatised school system run by various churches and, and, and corporations in many cases when it comes to the TAFE sector, Oh, the would not exist. Are run by the major major players are run by a major uh, multinational corporation, which is known as the Catholic Church. Well, actually, well, more, more than just the Catholic Church, it, it's run by a foreign power. Yes. Because the Catholic Church has the diplomatic immunity, because um, there's this thing called was it Vatican City or something. Yeah, anyway, so not a, not not only are they corporate, they're a foreign power. Um, look. But the reason we're talking about it is really, really simple. And there's an interesting article, actually, just a couple of weeks ago on, in, on the ABC News website that highlighted the, the very fundamental basic principles that Australia is one of the only countries in the world that funds the privatised education system and has done so since the 1960s. And at the moment, it's funding it on a dollar-for-dollar dollar basis. That is, every time you give a child to a, to, in a state school that needs it, um, in Australia, you are forced, if you're in a government, to give a dollar to a child in a private school that may or may not. It just may or may not. It doesn't matter. Um, there is no need. You just give them a dollar, whether they need it There's or not. There's only needfulness. Which means, that, which means that without me paying for the education of children in private schools, private schools would not exist there would be um, a small, um, significant I'm sure, but a small private school sector of schools which are funded entirely by the parent communities which, which send their children to them. But it would be nothing like the private school system we have here in Australia. The private school system in Australia is government funded. Um, the amount of money, for instance, that Jean was mentioning, the Catholic Church, the amount of money the Catholic Church puts into its own school system is negligible. Just the cost of doing business. In fact, the Catholic Church makes money from the government. It doesn't pay for its own schools. And neither do the majority of the independent uh, Christian schools in Australia as well. Um, yes, there are some parent contributions, but, but the religions themselves don't, don't pay any money. We, the taxpayers, do. And so this question of privatisation is at the core of the way education is run in Australia. It's really, really simple. Now, the arguments for this, the reasons why this is the case in Australia, I think change over the years, but they've got down to tin tax. It used to be that you had to pay money to privately educate children because if you didn't, that would be um, considered to be sectarian. You, you would be anti-this or anti-that or anti-Muslim or anti-Catholic or anti-Protestant or anti-Scientology anti or whatever it is that the denomination at school was. Those arguments aren't used anymore. Um, and the reason is very simple. I'm just going to just, if you bear with me for a minute, there are now three remaining reasons why parents send their children to private schools. The first reason is the parents have a sincere and heartfelt belief that their child needs to be educated um, in, within the tenets of their particular faith and specifically outside of the influence of other children who have different beliefs. That is, to separate your children off for religious reasons is why they send their children to a religious private school. That, that, that is one reason why parents do that. Another reason is that the idea that if I pay money on top of, if I pay money on top of what is required, I will receive a benefit for my child uh, which will be over and above the benefit for the children who do not have that advantage. That is, if I pay good money to send my child to a private school, they will get a better education than someone who does not have that money to spend. And so my child will have a competitive advantage into the future. Um, they will get a better education because I've paid for it. And um, the third argument, which is a related argument, is that if I send my child to a private school... A private school has the ability to exclude children which might interfere with the learning of my child because my child is a child that I love and I wish to protect and nurture. And if I send them to a state school, state schools do not have anywhere near the control um, 
that, that many parents think they need to exclude children whose behaviour or, or, or other attributes mean that their child, their particular child, might suffer. These are the three reasons why people send their children to private schools. Perceived economic benefit in the future, perceived values and control over children that private schools have, and, of course, the, the first and fundamental reason, which is sincere religious belief. Um, now, I make no comment upon sincere religious belief, but I can tell you that just recently, in the last week, there's a series of results that have come out from the NAPLAN testing that's gone on around Australia. And the NAPLAN testing proves unequivocally, as, as it does every time this happens, and I'm just going to say it again, sending your child to a private school gives your child no competitive educational advantage. The sector in which you send your child to, be it private or public, gives your child no benefit. You pay money, but it doesn't give you anything. Now, the other question is, of course, um, this whole question of private schools having the ability to get rid of distasteful children who might get in the way of your child's learning, because your child, of course, by definition, is a child that you love and has no problems themselves. This third question, I think, is actually a question of fundamental values. Because a state school allows a child to have an education and environment which reflects their local community, all of the children in their local community. A private school gives a child an education in which their child is given an education surrounded by a subset, very sometimes a very small subset, very sometimes a very small subset of a particular religious denomination or a particular social class. And so it is argued and it's proven, in fact, that children who go to private schools given the same sort of academic or educational outcomes, perform much worse when they receive tertiary education. Our children who go to private schools do, do, do much worse at universities once, once they've left their protected environments, where all of the, the bad things have been excluded, inverted commas. So having said all of that, we in Australia are almost unique in the world in that taxpayers fund the fund the entire system. They fund everyone. And the rhetoric that is used by supporters of private schools has got down to something really, really weird. And I'm going to quote now from a fellow called Frank Brennan. Frank Brennan is a very nice fellow. He's a father. In fact, he's a Jesuit. I think, is that right, Jane, Frank Brennan? He's, he's, yes, he's, yes. A, he's a Jesuit priest. From the Catholic, um, Catholic University. Yeah, he does a lot of good things because, you know, religious people do good things and he's a religious person who does good things. But his argument, his argument for f the public funding of private schools, which is functionally privatisation, is that, and it's very simple, he says, it's a common good. He says that we should fund private schools because it's a common good to give parents a choice. I find this very interesting how you can argue that black is white. Private is private and public is public. Yep. Common good is public. Private good is private good. If you mm. send your child to a private school, mm. then it is for private good reasons hmm. and not public good reasons. A, a parent who is concerned about their child and their child only is not concerned about uh, the common good. Hmm. This is very interesting how, well you can call it Jesuitical if you like, um, black suddenly becomes white. It is, I mean because that, that is the only argument left because he doesn't have the argument that, that private schools give your child a competitive advantage because they don't. Um, but it's because they take public money, it does not make them unfortunately public. It should. No. They should be open. There should be no fees and no requirements on on students or teachers. Yeah. But that, in fact, is what exactly yeah. they are not. Yeah. So he's really, um, really yeah. being very, very uh, disingenuous. Disingenuous. A religious school has a religious test upon entry, and so therefore it's not common to everyone. It is particular. Uh, um, so, yeah, I mean, the rhetoric that's been used has is, is, is fallen away just to that. Oh, it's a common good. It, it's, a, it's a good thing uh, because, because religion is, is good. Um, well, no, people are good. <laughs> it, might, it may be that good things happen in these places, but um, to, to put a blanket um, description of a private school which selects children as being a common or public good is 
complete yeah. Oh, and by the way, when I say that there is no advantage to your child to send them to private school, I'm, I'm not sort of talking about thinly. I'm actually referring to a Grattan Institute report which has just been released on the 23rd of October 2018. And the comparison of MAPLAN results from across Australia that focuses on school progress rather than results has shown that public and private schools have little impact on how fast the student progresses during NAPLAN results. Now, the horrific thing, the horrific thing, which and I'm gonna, every time I say this, I'm going to say it's a disgusting thing. The one thing that does matter is how wealthy your parents are. Yes. Nothing to do with the school you went to. If your parents are wealthy, you are likely to have a better educational outcome than if your parents are poor in a first world country like Australia. That in itself is not just disgusting, it's stupid and it's a waste. And our current system of funding private schools perpetuates this. It just perpetuates. You get rid of that, you get rid of the problem as far as I'm concerned. Well, this means that we are educating for an aristocracy, not a democracy, or even a meritocracy. Indeed. We'll be back after some more, actually. I think I have some messages now before we continue on with the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. The 2018 Autonomy and Resistance Gathering, a three-day conference on Indigenous and grassroots struggles across Latin America, Asia-Pacific and beyond. Topics include decolonisation, land defence from multinationals, autonomy and self-determination, prisons and criminalisation, visions for development beyond neoliberal capitalism, colonialism and patriarchy. Speakers including Christy Lee Horsewood from the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, Mariki Onis from the Jafarong Embassy, Bazat Gale, Kurdish activist from the Kurdish Democratic Community Centre and much more. November 2nd, 3rd and 4th at Trades Hall in Melbourne, Nam. For more information, look up Autonomy and Resistance Gathering 2018 on Facebook. Proud 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWs. Listen to Gene, myself and Dale as we go around the world talking about the issues of education and how it's sorted out in various countries. Now, I keep talking about Australia as being unique in the world because we fund private schools, we do. Um, we, we fund private schools far more than any other Western nation, but it does happen in the UK. There they've done privatisation slightly differently. They've taken a public school and they've turned it into an academy. So it gets run by a private organisation because businessmen do things better than public servants, apparently. Well, one of the things the business people have done at Nine Styles in Birmingham, at, at an academy there, it's a secondary school, paid for with public funds. And I think this is fascinating. This just goes to show when you see a problem. You know, do you know one of the problems that I find in schools is they're full of kids. I know. I used to work in a school, and when the kids weren't there, the place just ticked over, like, brilliantly. <laughs> but when the kids are they? oh, gee, they get in the way of the education process. Teachers hate them, the ministry. And do you know what? They're noisy. So what's happened is that Nine Styles School in Alcock Green in Birmingham, this academy has said... Pupils, pupils will be expected to move around the building in total silence. This is the quote. We know the behaviour is already of a high standard. We want to expect more from our learners, so they're pushing the boundaries of behaviour. This is all about behaviour management. Okay, students will move around the building in silence during class changeover times. This will ensure that students arrive calmly and ready to learn and staff can give out any information they need swiftly and easily. The children should learn Auslan. I think the children will, will, will actually it's um, international sign language over there, but yeah, because Auslan is an Australian dialect. That's all right. That's all right. No, because no, I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've done some training in it myself. They'll all become the children will oh, look, very, very clever. I tell, sorts of I tell you, at the university, we learnt sign language very quickly in lectures, and we and we, let, and we let each other know exactly what we thought of the lecture without saying a word. Um, but that's what they're going to do in Birmingham. In Birmingham, they're saying all student movement, including to and from assembly, at lesson changeovers and towards communal areas at break and at lunch, will be carried out in silence. 
but that pupils will be able to speak to each other in specially designated talking areas. Kind of reminds you of the um, the 18th century prisons. <laughs> um, yeah, it really does. It really reminds <laughs> me of the new model prison down there at Port Arthur because that because those were the rules. Those were the rules. Absolutely, you never yeah. you were never allowed to look at anyone, no, and you were no, allowed no. to speak because it might interfere with your learning needs. According to this oh, school, I'm you're kidding reform. you not. I'm kidding you not. This is this is a private aca- privately run academy in Birmingham have have put this up. They propose this. Oh, no, they're doing it. They must hate human beings. They must, mustn't they? They would just want to have robots. Yeah, parents. Are, parents, sure of course, are going. Parents are going. Would any of us go to a workplace where this is the case? As a parent, I feel this is creating an environment that works against learning, against what the school says. Says a particular parent. Now, the Nine Stars Academy School actually has fourteen hundred kids, age eighteen to so eleven to eighteen, and it's a good school. It's rated outstanding by Ofsted because they have inspections over there. Uh, it's committed to the highest standards of behaviour. Well, there. Oh, by the way, what happens if you talk? This is this is the this is the hilarious bit. You you you'll love this. Um, it's a twenty minute detention if you talk. So it's a twenty minute detention, and if you continue to do so, repeated failures to follow the school's silence policy will result in an appropriate escalation of sanctions. Dot dot dot. Dum 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 da. So if you keep talking to Kyle, you're not welcome in our educational community if you talk to... Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, now, bear in mind, this is publicly funded, and it's not actually run by a religious organisation, Jane. It's, it's, run by a, it's, it's run by a company that runs a number of schools. It's like a charter school, and yep. it must be run for profit. Yes, yes it is. So how much are they spending per capita on these silent children? Absolutely hilarious. Well, I mean... I don't think I don't think there'd be any child that I know that could actually go to this school. It would be a very good way of weeding out the sheep from the goats. I think you're probably right about that. But just in in the same country, in in the UK, they do have private schools which are government funded, but not to the same extent. But if they have private schools in the UK, they have to follow the laws of the land. They can't. They're not exempt from the anti-discrimination legislation. And when a school is found out for doing things which are against the law, then, um, th- then bad things happen. Or do they? Uh, interesting article. Um, I'm going to just, just from the National Secular Society, posted on the 22nd of October. Um, there are three independent faith schools in the UK which remain open despite having failed multiple inspections. And this is what they've been failed for. They've been failed... Because the Rabia's Girls and Boys School, which are independent Islamic schools in Luton, are the worst offenders statistically of the schools which remain open. They have been graded inadequate. What have they done? Uh, They separate out boys and girls. They separate out female staff and male staff. They have gender segregation, which does not conform to the legislation. Um, They teach them separately, boys and girls, different subjects. And they're not particularly interested in teaching them English. In fact, their English results are so far below the chart that they're, 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 almost, un, uh, they're almost unreadable because English, English lessons in this particular school, certainly at the Al-Esawalawad Jamat Sunni Islam school, but they do an awful lot of quoting and learning by road the Holy Quran there in the UK. Now, the Charity Commission published a report into the inquiry into these schools. The inquiry found that the trustees were unable to show any records, any records at all to explain financial transactions in the school as well. Why they are no still idea. open? Yeah, why, this is the question the National Secular Society is asking, but they are still open. According to a t- 2017 Ofsted report, the pupils have actually, in one of the schools, limited opportunity, limited opportunity to learn about other customs, about other beliefs and other ways of life. They have no access to sufficient resources to enable them to make adequate progress in creative and aesthetic subjects. And the range of books in English to read in these schools was described as extremely limited. I wonder if they're actually being taught to write English. I don't know. I don't. I just don't know, Jane. Mm. Um, so, yes, Australia's not the only people that have problems, but I'm going to stop talking about miserable things that are going on in religious schools around the world. I'm going to talk about a great state school here in Victoria. 
Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to talk about a little place named after a singer. The singer's name was Melba. And I'm talking about Melba Secondary College in Croydon, Victoria, down there in the Outer East. It's an extraordinary place. I really like it. Um, it's a, at the moment, it's a dual-campus secondary school, but it's about to become a single-campus secondary school because the government's actually putting in some millions of dollars. They recognise what they're doing down there, and they're putting in $13.7 million for a new stadium to rebuild it, $1.5 million through the Share Facilities Fund, and, and a lot more through the Sport and Rec Fund, providing, well... Over $2 million in just in terms of building, but then lots more after that. And Melbourne College is being actually completely rebuilt. And you know why it's being completely rebuilt? I think this is wonderful. I mean, I'm not necessarily going to tell anyone to vote one way or the other in any upcoming election, but I will tell you right now, this school has around about 900 kids in it. It's a state school, and it's in Croydon. And the vast majority of the kids in this school come from, you guessed it, the lowest socioeconomic quartile, which is to say 53% of them come from the poorest families in Australia. 7% come from the richest families in Australia. It's a much smaller percentage indeed. So the SES, sort of, well, the ICSI value, I should say, um, is 953, which is under a 1,000. So it's not super-duper-duper duper poor, but it's not rich by any means. But they are doing extraordinary things there. And when extraordinary things happen in the state schools, it should be rewarded. Bear in mind, Melbourne Secondary College doesn't kick kids out because they don't like them. Melbourne Secondary College doesn't kick kids out because of their sexuality or the gender orientation of their parents. (sighs) doesn't do any of that because it's a state school. It has proper values. It takes everyone. It takes everyone from the local area and a few others around. It has a big sports program, and it does extraordinary things. NAPLAN results... Um, against all similar schools, it is really good or just the same. They're just fine. Good teaching. And you know, NAPLAN doesn't tell you everything you need to know about a school, but as, as, far, as far as the raw numbers are concerned. And how much does it cost? How much does it cost me and you to educate these kids, these kids from poorer families? Remember in Australia, the wealth of your family is the most important thing when it comes to your educational outcomes and the only thing that fights that disgusting evil, the only thing that we have in Australia to fight that horrific fact is places like Melbourne Secondary College. They are fighting the good fight and they're doing it for around about 16000 a year per kid, which as far as I'm concerned is just fine, just fine. My taxpayers' money going to those kids and those teachers in those facilities to do those things very happy and if you don't agree with that um, maybe you should turn off and listen to the, something other than community radio here on 3CR 855 and, and, uh, because we hold that truth to be self-evident we're talking about educating the children and the children of Croydon are very well served by Melba Secondary College now the school itself has an interesting approach it's not sort of weird or anything like that but basically they focus on the continuous improvement. They don't just sit on what they're doing. The continuous improvement of teaching, learning, and, and this is important, provide a secure learning environment and ensure strong and diverse. And here I'm going to use the word choices, Jean. Choices in terms of what it is they want to learn. That's choices in choice. a school. Yes, student, student choices choice. inside the school. Now, I think that's important. Now, they're on two campuses at the moment, but that won't be the case for much longer. They'll be merging them, so they have a curriculum, and they go across, because this is a school of about 900 kids. It's not a small school. It's not a big school. It's right there in the middle. They do VCAL. They do VET. They do VCE. Has sister schools in Germany and Japan and in China. They've got elective choices in the middle school, and they have rich and vibrant co-curricular, which is very strong, by the way, Jean. You'd be interested to know. Performing arts, visual arts, music, sport, indoor and outdoor education. And they take the kids out in year nine. They've got a lot of camps as well. Now, there's around about 63 effective full-time teachers. It's not very many for 900 children. It's not very many at all, is it, I have to say. Yep. And this money, this money that's going into it, I think it's fascinating. One thing they're getting is a new basketball stadium. 
Now, because it's a state school, and this is this is fascinating, because it's a state school, that basketball stadium is not going to be just for the school. It's going to be for everyone in Croydon, because that's what state schools do. Now, if that basketball stadium had been built at MLC, you've got Buckley's Lonely get, getting to use it. <laughs> But if it's built down at Melbourne Secondary College, it's yours. If you live there, you, you'll be able to use it. That's the whole point of it. In Croydon, it's a growing community. And the parents deserve to know their kids will have a great school. Um, and this is a politician talking because a politician's starting to put the money in down there. And now I'm, I'm quoting there from Sean Lean and, of course, James Molino, who's the education minister here in Victoria. So Melbourne College did good things is rewarded for it and will continue to do good things uh, because they're also, by the way, getting a new science building as well as a new basketball stadium. And, of course, that will be used very effectively by the kids down there. must be exciting to be in a state school in Croydon at the moment. It must be. I, I just love it because to get through the door of the Melba Secondary College, just to get through the door, you don't have to sit there and tell anyone what God you believe in. To get through the door, you don't have to prove what gender you are or are not. To get through the door, you don't have to sit a test to make sure that you and your lifestyle are appropriate to the values of the school because the fact that you live in Croydon in the catchment area for the school is the only thing that you need to show to get into that school schools and even then if you come from outside the area there's a chance you might as well because state schools are the only schools in Australia that are open to all, offensive to none and universal in the way they approach their education system so congratulations Melbourne College I think you've done a wonderful job down there it's good to be a great state school Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. State Sunshine schools. North Primary They're School. really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. You've got, gee, like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got vis- physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly uh, assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that he's actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great deal. relationships with each other, with the teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. That's all from the dogs today. It's good night and goodbye until next week. We have a website, www.adogs.info. But until next week, from Gene Dale and myself, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I. Him standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I'm dead Says Joe, but I'm dead
the copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize. Went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Ten years dead, I never died. Too.